You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. Good morning and welcome, folks. Man, I just want to take a second and say thanks for joining us. Uh, man, people of the way, if you are someone who is a follower of Jesus, man, we rejoice that you are taking time to join us in our time of worship and praise this morning. Um, man, I just want to welcome you into that. And if you're someone who doesn't know Jesus or who hasn't come to our church gatherings back when we could gather in person, man, we welcome you as well to come and join us as we are seeking after the things of God, uh, worshiping Jesus and doing what uh, he instructed us to do, to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so I just want to welcome you into that this morning. We're going to do things a little bit different today. We're going to jump right into our study of God's word and uh, spend some time there. And then we'll throw it over to Matt and have him lead us out in response to those things that we learn uh, from the word in praise and worship and uh, coming to the table of communion with the Lord. All of those things. We'll do those at the end of our time together. So this morning, if you will grab your Bibles to start off and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Man, we want to jump right into God's Word where we're studying verse by verse. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we find ourselves. And this last Wednesday night, typically we would be doing a verse by verse study. And like I said, I had all my notes prepared and yet I just felt the presence of God just leading me in a little bit of a different direction to share uh, some truth from the words of Jesus, you know, about being a light in the world and, and letting that light in us shine out so that they could, the world could see our good deeds, the things that we do, uh, copying Jesus. And, uh, and then because of that, glorify our Father in heaven. That's the purpose, is to glorify God. And so, man, I hope that could be an encouragement to you. If you didn't check that out, it's on the website at uh, thewayeugene.org, and it's on our YouTube channel, all the same places you're probably watching this. So anyway, with that, we're going to jump into studying the Word. So join me in a word of prayer. Father, as we come to the Word, the words that you have spoken out and recorded for all of history to know your heart and your mind, and your thoughts, the things that you want us to know about you. Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, teach us this morning. May we be encouraged, built up in our faith, and reminded of your goodness, your grace, and your love, and your mercy. So we offer you this time in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So, pardon me, here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And like I've said in, in, in introducing this next several chapters, Paul's going to be talking about some things that are really um, sensitive, things that cause even people in the church to sometimes disagree or have different opinions about. And we can get lost if we lose our focus. The thing that we as the people of God, the people of Jesus in his body are supposed to be focusing on. So I want us to remember, as we spend time going through the Word this morning, seeking out God's truth, that we need to keep our eyes and our ears open, if you will, and our hearts and our minds focused on the central theme of all of Scripture. As we come to the Bible and spend time reading God's Word, whether it's devotionally in the morning or when we focus on a large section of Scripture on a Wednesday night or we focus in on something very specific on Sunday mornings, we have to keep in mind how it is that we're supposed to understand all of Scripture and everything that God has given us. 
in the, the central theme of the Bible, if you will. And this is the central theme of all of Scripture. It's that God glorifies himself by saving his people through Jesus' death and resurrection. That's, that's the theme, if you will. That's the main point of all of Scripture, that God is glorified. He glorifies himself, even, by saving his people through Jesus' death and resurrection. This is the theme, the narrative, if you will, that we see through all of Scripture. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and glorification. That's sort of the pattern that as you read through the Old Testament scriptures, the giving of the law, the prophetic literature, the wisdom literature, into the Gospels, the arrival of Jesus, and then the church age after Jesus, of which we're a part of right now, that's the story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and glorification. That's how it all works. And so here in chapter 5, as Paul starts dealing with some very, very sensitive and serious issues like sexual ethics, sexual behavior, uh, identifying what God calls sin, a, a separation from his will and from his purposes, and even church discipline, things like, like uh, what we would call excommunicating someone, pushing someone out of the church because of unrepentant sin, things that are serious and heavy. We have to understand what the purpose is in the midst of all of that, as we are the church. We have to understand sort of what the centrality of it is, what the theme is in the midst of that, because what can happen is if we start looking at things like uh, Paul discussing sexual ethics and, and calling certain things sin, or if we look at politics and how even Christians can sort of divide on political issues, or if we begin talking about like religious behavior, things that some people who are followers of Jesus say, this is okay for us to do, and other followers of Jesus say, no, that's not okay for us. If we start looking at those things thematically in the scripture, and we start majoring on those points, we sort of make those the issue and the theme of of scripture. We lose the purpose that God laid those things out there for. And so let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7. And I want to draw your attention to this because as often is the case when you're reading through a section of scripture, what's written before and after the central theme of, the, of that passage is found there sometimes in the middle, in the middle. And so here we have uh, chapter 5 verse 7. It says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. Now, we'll get into that in, on Wednesday and discussing what that means. But in, in simplicity, leaven or yeast, as it's described in other translations, is an uh, image for sin. And how we as Christians are now without sin in God's economy because of what Jesus has done for us. And here's where Paul comes to it. This is the theme. This is the central point of what Paul is talking about. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, he says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 
How do we know that that's the central theme of what the Apostle Paul is discussing here in his instruction and even rebuke of this church at Corinth? Well, we know it's the central theme because it's the central theme of all of Scripture. God saving people through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death and his resurrection. We also know that it's the theme of this specific letter to this church because of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, as we've repeated many times now. He purposed to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified in his discussion and instructions and encouragement of this church. See, when issues, like I said before, like religious behavior, politics, sexual ethics, even spiritual controversies where people within the church take differing viewpoints on things like, for instance, eschatology, like the end of time study and the rapture and those kinds of things. Man, people get into heated debates about those kinds of things and they make those topics. Well, can a Christian vote Republican or should a Christian vote Democrat? Those kinds of things. People get so worked up about that kind of stuff, and they start making those things the central issue of Scripture, trying to use Scripture to prove those points. And what happens is that folks can oftentimes lose the thread, forget the purpose that's been stated time and time again throughout all of the Bible. And, and, and what happens when people start to take those kinds of points and make them the, the purpose of their Bible teaching or their ministry, uh, you know, trying to convince other people of what they believe on, what, on these what we would call perhaps secondary issues. What happens is that people can start kind of creating their own little kingdoms within the larger kingdom of God that we're all supposed to be unified in. And remember, that's one of the big themes that Paul talks about in his letters here, is the unity of the church saying to all those who are in Christ, believers in Jesus, be unified. Be of the same mind. Be like-minded. Don't allow things to create divisions among you when they're not necessary. This is one of the things that, that, that Paul calls the church to, is to keep the central focus, keep the main theme of the, all of Scripture, the main thing that you guys are united on, and that is the death of Jesus Christ. You know, the whole tenor or the feel of Paul's rebuke and instruction here in chapter 5 is framed by this truth, that Jesus Christ, who is the perfect sinless son of God came to earth to show humanity the way of God's kingdom. He sacrificed himself for our sake, paying the penalty, paying the cost of our imperfection, of our sin against a holy and righteous God, and making the way for us to be reunited with God, in fellowship with God, the way that God desired from the very beginning of his creation. That's the purpose. And like I've said before, maybe that sounds elementary, like, man, all these guys ever do is talk about Jesus and him crucified. I thought we were supposed to move beyond the milk into the meat of the deep things of God. But remember, when we start to apply the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ to every part of our life, 
every aspect of, of what we say, of what we think, of what we feel, of what we do, when we start applying that truth, we begin getting into some very deep things. The milk, the, the, the elementary things that Paul would talk about, was simply the confession of faith, the, the belief in Jesus, the application of what Jesus' sacrifice purchases for us, a new life in Christ is where that depth really takes hold. And so here Paul saying this central theme to all of his instruction and correction that Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. What does that mean? Why is that the central theme? And and what does that uh, mean for us in talking about all of those other subjects? Sexual ethics, politics, disagreements within the church on certain aspects of the Christian life or the end times or whatever that might be. Well, I want to take a second and look at what Paul makes reference to here. The Passover lamb. And to do that, I want to go back uh, to the Old Testament and take a look at Exodus chapter 12. So if you want to take a moment and turn over there. Exodus chapter 12. And as you're doing that, I'll also mention, hey, we are going to have a time of communion at the end here while Matt's leading out in praise and worship. So somewhere in the midst of this time, man, somebody can grab some bread and and something to drink. So just to give you a heads up on that one. But here we are in Exodus chapter 12. And Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to read the first 13 verses. So bear with me here. But I want you to hear where this idea of the Passover came from. He's going to pass over his people, anybody who's obeyed his instructions and applied the blood of that lamb to their household. And he's going to do this amazing thing and save all of those people. Understand the context of where this is happening. The previous five chapters, God has been pouring out upon Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt plagues. In fact, he's poured out nine plagues that are absolutely just tragic. And the reason that he's doing it is because Pharaoh's heart has been hardened against obedience to God. And God specifically says in Exodus chapter 7, verse 17, that these plagues that are going to come because of Pharaoh's hardness of heart, his disobedience to release God's people, to free God's people from captivity in Egypt, God says he's going to use these plagues to show himself to be God. These plagues that are going to be poured out upon Pharaoh in Egypt, they are going to be for the purpose of proving that God is who he says he is, that he is the almighty and the all-powerful, the only God. And it's it's an interesting thing. In the midst of these horrific plagues that are being poured out upon those people and the destruction that they were causing. I mean, people's livelihoods, crops, animals dying, all these kinds of things. Because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, this disobedience against the Lord, in the midst of all of those things, God provides for his people protection from the ultimate plague, that God will send. See, Pharaoh's hardening his heart against all of these different plagues, you know, uh, pestilences, vermin, darkness, all these kinds of things that are are coming upon the nation of Egypt. 
And, and he keeps hardening his heart. And he says, oh, I'll turn back to the Lord. I'll repent. But, but yet he endures and keeps enduring these plagues that God sends because of the hardness of his heart. His, this rebellion against the Lord. But God is going to send a final plague that is truly the one that is to be feared the most. And that is the plague of death. See, everyone can act tough and resist seasons of life, hard things in life. But at a certain point, everyone has to face this final plague, what the Bible calls the final enemy, which is death. This is important for us to consider right now, because right now, in the world that we're living in, we're experiencing this whole thing uh, surrounding COVID-19 and the separation that it has caused, the tragedy that it's caused, the deaths that it has caused. It is, it's a big deal, um, and, and it is very much a plague for us right now. Now, a lot of times people who see those things, uh, they sort of get triggered in a sense and go, oh no, is this it? Is this the end of time? Is this one of those things that Jesus talked about that we would hear of and see at the end of time before Jesus comes back? Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, uh, plagues, uh, all these kinds of things that are going to take place. Jesus talks about those things in like Matthew chapter 24, that kind of stuff. Here's the thing that I'll say. Even though COVID-19 has been in our lifetime, one of the strangest, just most challenging things that we've ever seen, and by all means, it is tragic, and, and it's not something I'm making light of or being flippant about, but even in this generation, it's not the worst thing that has ever happened to the people of Earth. I mean, there are stories of people right now who are living at 108, 109 years old, having survived now this COVID-19 thing. They are people who, when they were little tiny kiddos, survived the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918. You realize there are people who are still alive right now who were alive in 1918 and survived that as little kids. Now, the numbers that, uh, of the people that were killed during that pandemic... The, the Spanish influenza uh, dwarf the numbers of what's going on right now. Think about World War II and Nazi Germany, the, the absolute utter tragedy of that, how many people were killed, how many people were lost in the Vietnam War or any of the other uh, militaristic things that have taken place over the last generation. There have been some horrible things that have happened. Now, all that to say, COVID-19 is absolutely a plague. It's something that's infecting humanity and causing this ultimate plague, which is death. But the thing for us to learn from Exodus chapter 12, what God gave to his people there in the midst of all of those plagues in Egypt, and take note of this, anytime the Bible talks about Egypt or Babylon, it's always talking about spiritually the world, the empire of Satan, the, the world that is separated from God and his kingdom, that's what it's always uh, giving an indication towards spiritually. And so there's this all these plagues that are being experienced by God's people in the midst of captivity there in the world, if you will, and how gracious of God, how kind and loving and merciful that he would provide a way for his people to be saved from the ultimate plague, which is 
death. God makes a way both for his people Israel in that Old Testament account there in Exodus chapter 12. But Paul is now highlighting for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 how God has also made a way for us, his people who are under the new covenant because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Paul is preaching towards us about this same thing, that God provides a way for the plague or the judgment, if you will, of death to pass over those who obey God's instructions. He provided a way there for the nation of Israel to not experience the death that he was sending out upon those who were disobedient to him. And he did, and he provided for them by way of taking the blood of a lamb, pure, spotless, in the prime of life, and taking the blood of that lamb and applying it to the doorposts and, and the lintel of their household so that when God saw that blood, that plague of death would pass over that house and those people would be saved. And so that was God's instructions. They were to be obedient to that and then they would be saved. What is God's instruction? What is his commandment? What is his will for us here in this new covenant life? Well, it's quite simply this. Jesus said it in John chapter 6, verse 29. This is the work of God or the will of God that you would believe upon the one whom he has sent. This is the will of God that we would believe upon Jesus Christ and that the blood of Jesus, the pure, perfect, spotless lamb of God, that the blood that Jesus shed would be applied not just to the doorposts of our houses, but that we would in full spiritual personage, that we would be washed in the blood of our sacrificed Savior, Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God. See, like Paul says here, Jesus is our Passover. He's been sacrificed. And in the context of what Paul's talking about, all of the things that we can sort of get off track and lose focus of that main theme, God's salvation through Jesus, and we can get off track and start arguing and debating and focusing on uh, what God says about what is sin and what is not sin, uh, and all the applications of that. Well, can I uh, drink alcohol or not drink alcohol? Should I vote Democratic or should I vote Republican? Do I believe that Jesus is coming before the time of tribulation described in the book of Revelation or at the end of it? See, the reason I point those things out is because those tend to be really hot-button topics and issues that Christians start dividing about and arguing about when we're supposed to be unified around this central idea that Jesus Christ died and that his blood was shed so that our sin can be washed away. And we can be the people of God, living within the, the economy and values and understanding of the kingdom of God, even right now as we wait for God to consummate his salvation, to save everyone that he intends to save. And that's our job, is to be sharing that good news and that gospel 
making disciples of people, helping them grow up to move beyond just simple belief, but allowing the teaching of Jesus to affect every part of their life, every depth of thought and feeling and emotion and relationship, all of those things. And so Paul makes this connection between between the Passover and the sacrifice of Christ as our Passover lamb, and, and he makes this connection within the context of 1 Corinthians 5 on how, man, we're supposed to purge leaven or sin out of our lives. That our Christian lives as followers of Jesus are supposed to be marked by the same things that characterized the Passover for the children of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament. Things like salvation. Things like liberation or freedom from the world's oppression and, and the world's binding and the way that the world's system works, traps people and holds them captive. How we're supposed to be celebrating joy and abundance, the things God has provided for us, and purity from sin. That sin would be purged from our lives, like, like leaven was supposed to be purged from the households of the nation of Israel as they came to celebrate the Passover. And so we celebrate our Passover very simply by remembering the work of Jesus and by taking a cup of juice or wine or or like Matt said last week, diet Pepsi or and a piece of bread to commemorate the sacrifice of Jesus. And the reason I want to stop and talk about this for just a second is this. You know, in our tradition, if you will, or the way that we have come to express these things, you know, oftentimes we can be criticized. Well, you guys are pretty casual about communion. You know, you don't actually use wine and you somebody talked about drinking Diet Pepsi and eating corn chips as a representation of, of communion. And that's just not, that's not sacred enough. Here's the thing I want to encourage you in today. And that's not to start an argument with anybody or, or tell anybody that they're wrong. But, you know, one of the things that Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians is a further uh, reminder of what Jesus told his disciples on that night that he established this action, this remembrance of who he is and what he did for us. He says, as often as you do this, do what? Sit down and have a meal. As often as you do this, he says, do it in remembrance of me. And so that when he gave these instructions, this picture, this example to his followers, his disciples, he wasn't instituting some sort of sacred ritual. It was very much a common meal. They were coming together to remember this, the Passover. The Passover of God's judgment over his people passing over them and the judgment of death being withheld from his people because of the blood of the Lamb. It was a common meal. It was something they did often. But not, not only was it common, it was also sacred. It was both. It was common. He said, as often as you do this, as often as you sit down to remember that the blood has been applied to your household, to your heart, then, then do this. Take a piece of bread. Remember that my body was broken for you. I'm the lamb that was slain. Remember that my blood, by taking a drink of something, just remember that it was my blood that was poured out for you, that when it's applied to your life, that plague of death is going to pass over you. 
And like so many things, those pictures in the Old Testament, they're examples for us to understand the truth of what we're taught in the New Testament. Yeah, our bodies are going to die physically, one death. But when we're in Christ, when we've believed upon Jesus for our salvation, we are going to resurrect in the same way that Jesus rose from the grave. We are going to be glorified by God and live eternally. And the shocking truth that has to be stated is that the opposite is true as well. If you have not believed upon Jesus Christ for salvation, if the blood of Jesus has not been applied to your life spiritually, when you die physically, you will also die spiritually. You'll be separated from the love of God for all of eternity. And so what I would urge you today to do as you come to the table of fellowship, to eat and drink considering the work of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb that was sacrificed, if you haven't believed upon Jesus yet, if you haven't placed your faith upon him, I would encourage you to do that now. Simply cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm separated from God. I'm not living according to God's will for my life. And I repent. I turn away from that. And I place my faith upon you, Jesus, believing that you died on the cross to pay for my sins, that your blood was shed to right the record of wrong in my life and bring peace between me and God. And so I believe upon you believe that you died. I believe that you rose again. And I believe that you've forgiven my sins and that I get to look forward to eternity living life with you, glorified. And if you do that, the Bible is really clear. The Bible says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And so I would encourage you. I would even, as I've said, I beg you, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins. You know, for us here, as, as we're going to send it over to Matt in just a second, uh, man, I would encourage you, whether it's right now as Matt's leading out in the singing of praise and worship, whatever that might be for us in this next little bit, if it's right now that we stop and also take a piece of bread and a cup of something and, and remember the sacrifice of Jesus, that's awesome. Or maybe it's waiting until lunch when you sit down with your family here after you have church, whenever you're watching this. And be able to stop and take a moment and go, hey, this is a common meal for us. We do this often, but this is also a sacred moment for us. We're going to stop and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf for us, for God to pass over the plague of death in our lives.